folks, and welcome to the Fallon Forum. Thanks for tuning in on Lorena, 1260 AM, 96.5 FM. Also, to those of you joining us on Facebook, good to have you here. Uh, in a minute, we're going to uh, describe the program for you, but I want to take a second to shout out to some of our uh, local business partners. Uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe at 20th and Woodland, my grocery store, and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Also, a wonderful catering service. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating creatures great and small for over 30 years. Thanks also to Ritual Cafe at uh, 13, on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown. Fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. And thanks to Cinco de Mayo Restaurant on Southeast 14th Street. Authentic Mexican food at very affordable prices with really friendly, wonderful service. And finally, thanks to Namaste Restaurant in Clive at 7500 University Ave. Uh, excellent cuisine from both southern and northern India. That's Namaste Restaurant. All right, so welcome to the program today, folks. Uh, later in the show, we'll be talking about the uh, month's uh, climate hotspots, the Arctic and New Orleans. We'll also talk about how Donald Trump, uh, among other faux pas over the past week, has uh, told four uh, U.S. Congresswomen to go back to where they came from. That's going to be... Uh, well, three of whom, I think, are from the three, U.S. Three, yeah. three of them are from the U.S., right. <laughs> we'll also talk about the unfortunate truth that conspiracy and paranoia seem to run deep in American politics. But first, I want to welcome uh, Charles Goldman to the program. Can't seem to get it. rid of this guy. That's right. He's behaving himself today. I do have my socks on. Yeah, your socks on. Okay, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Pasha Morgan is with us. Uh, Pasha Thank and I have met, uh, met uh, not too long ago, actually, uh, with a mutual involvement in the Iowa caucuses. Uh, he's been doing some work with us on uh, encouraging candidates to be aggressive on climate change. And um, we're going to take this uh, first segment to talk well, about... Could, could I ask? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Pasha, what, what kind of has mobilized you in terms of the climate change issue? Oh, uh, I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so selfish. You're so selfish. I don't want to die. I have kids and grandkids. I'd like them to live and be able to breathe. So, yeah, that, that, that's what spurred me on. That'll do it. <laughs> Which is intriguing because climate deniers, I'm sure, have kids and grandkids also. What do you think is the, uh, the difference? A brain? Uh, no. Let's Sorry, that, was, yeah, that wasn't fair. That wasn't fair. Yeah. Um, education. It's probably the difference. Um, actually, being being educated in um, in climate, looking around, seeing what's going on, and even having a, at least a working knowledge. You know, I'm not looking. You don't have to be an environmentalist, or you know, but just the working knowledge of what's going on and what fossil fuels and things like that are doing to our climate. So, Bold Iowa has done a lot of work uh, during this climate uh, during this, uh, during this uh, caucus cycle, uh, including most of it's been just simple question and answer, trying to get candidates to commit to a climate debate, trying to get them to commit to uh, not expanding pipelines, to opposing uh, the use of eminent domain for uh, pipelines and infrastructure, and also to uh, stand up for indigenous communities affected by pipelines, and most recently, to really encourage candidates to make the uh, mobilization to fight climate change their top priority as presidential candidates. And again, given the fact that we are looking at the threat of human extinction here, we've been trying to uh, be as creative as possible. We unleashed the bold climate penguins. Uh, that was a lot of fun. You were at one of those events. Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, they came down here because it's colder here than the Arctic. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, not yeah. now it isn't, but yeah. Well, no, we, we did that right after the, uh, the second uh, largest ember penguin colony collapsed. Mm -hmm. uh, we also um, did an action at, at a Trump rally because Trump's running for president as well. And uh, some people were arrested for that. And so this weekend, uh, well, last week after seeing uh, German students uh, organize a protest in Cologne where they stood on blocks of ice with nooses around their neck, uh, I was I saw that and I was really moved and a lot of people I shared it with thought wow that is really powerful let's try to do something like that here relevant to the presidential caucuses and so we put together a demonstration a gallows with three people standing on blocks of ice uh, that gradually melted and uh, with words above the gallows reading uh, as the Arctic melts are as the Arctic melts the climate news tightens and uh, we've, had, we've had some really, really positive, favorable comments from people saying, wow, that is really uh, a great statement that's, that's so powerful. But there's been a lot of pushback, too. And, I, and I'm, I'm feeling like it wasn't, wasn't our best choice in terms of trying to uh, find uh, a way of energizing people to understand how urgent the situation is. Yeah, maybe some people got that, but I think it might have been lost for some because of the you know, concerns about how the noose is represented in American history. 
before we get into that discussion, I have to tell you what my initial response was. Okay. I, 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 I was trying to remember whether it was Encyclopedia Brown or the Hardy Boys mysteries in which they have someone hanging and a puddle of water underneath their feet. It was puddle literally, yeah, it was literally like a 1960s teenage boys book that, you know, they did this mystery. So, I mean, that was my association with it. I understand, though, that some other people came up to you and felt that the lynching aspect of it was troubling to them. Yeah, right. Jump in, Pasha. Except for it wasn't it was there was no lynching aspect to it. It, it was a gallows, so it was um, it was a it was a gallow. It was represented as a gallows. People were hanging each other for thousands of years um, prior to slavery, prior to the formation of the country we now know as America, and um, so it was not it. If you were, if you kind of, you either have to be offended about everything or you have to really have made a stretch to make something that was clearly what it was and try to tie it into something that you could just be mad about. Well, from what I understand, Ed, it was, there were no, there was only one person of color who came up to you. Is that correct? And said something Yeah, in Cedar Rapids, there was a, a, a woman who was pretty upset. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, you know, I mean, she was very vocal, but it wasn't, um, she wasn't screaming at us. She wasn't uh, throwing stuff at us. I mean, yeah. she, she had a good, fairly energetic conversation with two of our, two of our people who were not, who were not directly involved with the, with the, uh, with the uh, performance art itself. So what, what was the, the bulk of the people came up to you for attending the Democratic event yeah. that day, so I would presume would be progressives, liberals, right. and they had the most trouble with it. Well, the, the other part of our message was that we want the presidential candidates. We, we're, we're challenging them to, to commit to making a mobilization to fight climate change, their very first act as president. So that's why we're at these events with presidential candidates. Well, you know, I, I, <clears throat> this would be my take on Maybe Pasha can, you know, comment too. Um, the people who are going to suffer the climate change ramifications first are going to be the poor. Uh, and the people who can't move out of the way, or the people who have intentionally, uh, the rich in this country, who have intentionally built in the way of climate change. Who owns waterfront property around the coast in the United States? Yeah. In most cases, it's people who are wealthy. Right. Who subsidizes it when every time they're the houses that get knocked down? The rest of us. The rest of us yeah. through na you know, national flood insurance. Um, the real victims of climate change are going to be the poor and they are generally going to be people of color wherever you are. They're going to be low-lying areas in Asia like Bangladesh. They're going to be low-lying areas in this country like New Orleans and the Florida, you know, uh, Peninsula. Houston, Beaumont. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and in every one of these disasters, it has generally been the poor who have suffered the greatest ramifications. Uh, and, you know, and entire wards of, of, of New Orleans have not been rebuilt. And, and some people made that point while criticizing the action, while feeling that we weren't sensitive to the reality that a lot of you know, poor, marginalized, and uh, people of color are the frontline victims, and I we get that. We we've been very aware of that, and I, I guess I didn't I didn't understand how that could be would be construed in the opposite direction, but you know I that's because I still don't believe it should have been. Honestly, I don't. I think that they really it, most people were making a an issue where there was none. <laughs> um, like and, and which is progressive liberalism, right? Right, right. and and it, a perfect example is pointing out the fact that very few people of color are actually the ones either commenting or the one that came up to you, but instead it is our overly enthusiastic progressive liberal brothers and sisters who sometimes push things so far that nobody's listening anymore if you're complaining about everything. Well, the other thing that's interesting is. You know, the, the presumption among aff affluent white um, progressives slash liberals is that they're going to run the show as we move forward on issues like immigration and, and, and racial equality issues, etc. They're actually not ready to give up the mantle of leadership to the people who may actually have more invested in the changes we're talking about. Oh, no. It's white saver syndrome. It's literally yeah, a, it is. yes, it is. It's it's the thought that even in my progressiveness, even in my in in me being as liberal as I am, that these poor 
poorer people and or people of color need me to step in and solve and help them solve their problems for them do this for them yeah. because I am the almighty I think that's absolutely true. I think a lot of people would agree with that on, who are maybe commenting on both sides of this action. Again, there have been a lot of positive response too, but right. I think even some of those who are very critical of it would agree with that, that there needs to be uh, some, you know, a greater uh, sense of power sharing in this country. And I, I think we're starting to see that. And we're seeing, of course, what we'll talk about later in the program, about the you know, Trump pushback against the very vocal and outspoken you know, minority Freshman women class. leaders in, in Congress. But yeah, so I, I don't, I mean, but I, see, I, that's another example. Yes. Okay, because they're in a fight with Pelosi over right. leadership. And almost immediately they resort to implying that Nancy Pelosi is a racist, which is yeah. just ludicrous. And it's ludicrous, particularly if you're trying to. If, if, if one thing the Democratic Party needs to do is get President Trump out of office, this is not the way to do that. And and everybody's getting called a racist. I'm getting, really getting tired of hearing Have you been called a racist? No. But, you know, people are wearying of it. They're wearying of the absolutism of, of the friend, of the farther left. I mean, if you, wanna, you, if you wanna talk about an issue that we lost on, talk about abortion, right? Because you could have had a compromise in the 90s on abortion that would have ensconced protection into law and not just into the decision you know, of Roe v. Wade. But no, we had to protect third trimester abortion, something which is basically an unusually done medical procedure that's done for medical reasons. It's not a contraception modality. I'm, you must be wrong, Charles. That must happen every other abortion because that's all that you heard about in the argument. Right, but then uh, but both sides... Right. So but, it can't but both be sides something that's that. rare because it is rare. Of it course is rare. it is. But it, 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 that's what you're pointing out, is yeah. that they took something that is minute and made it They want to win important. all points. I see a great conversation for another segment sometime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I do, I, I feel badly that so many people have uh, responded so, uh, so passionately against uh, an action that I thought would be empowering and just, just uh, and, and kind of motivating. This is how urgent it is. I mean, mm -hmm. we are in a life and death situation. That's what the, the news symbolizes. Is not not lynching, not not any, not 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 the not the use of the news for suicide or anything else. It symbolizes the the urgency of the situation. But I, again, I, I I think I I think that was a miscalculation on my part. And I, I if I had to do this over again, I'd, I'd probably do something else. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, I, I understand. I you, I don't I I don't actually think you should. I really? I think you know. I don't think you should have if you. Here's the thing. You're trying to make people stand up and pay attention. You're trying to make yeah. them pay attention to how how serious this is and how imperative it is for us to move forward in some kind of direction. Um, so that takes boldness and that takes something that is going to draw people's attention. And that is always going to have both sides to it. But yeah, you're going to you're going to face some some people like we just said and most of them again it's important to remember we're not people of color that were having a fit over this. this. These were people who, for some reason, think that it is their job to champion everything. So, but that being said, when if you ever feel like you probably shouldn't have done it because it caused too much controversy, remember that people got mad over the fact that Ariel from The Little Mermaid is now black. So, <laughs> I didn't know that. You so they're so do yeah. They're Disney's doing a remake, and they cast the they cast the Ariel as black, and people are losing their minds over it. So the thing about that, the point of that is, if somebody jumps in there, you see people losing their mind. Pain, just ignore it. Walk past it. Move forward in the direction you're in. As long as you know that you have made every intention to not offend people of color, to not you, and you did do that. So don't worry about what people are gonna lose their mind over because they're gonna lose their mind over everything. They lost their mm -hmm. mind over an interracial couple on a Cheerios commercial four years ago. Mm -hmm. So. <laughs> I missed that one, what, what was that about? <laughs> they had an interracial, it was the first interracial couple oh, on, a, on, a, on an actual national um, campaign for a, a national product and people lost their freaking minds because they couldn't understand why this black or white guy and white and black woman were together with a child. It was 2016. The other discussion I would, I would like us to have as, as, a, as a world in general, as a scientist, as a physician, is skin color has zero meaning in terms of people's capabilities. It's an evolutionary response to sun exposure. 
It has nothing to do with anything. There is no correlation between skin color and any capability we have, either athletic or intellectual. And and we race is not skin color. It's sad <laughs> that you would have to say that in 2019. And you're, but of course you're absolutely right. It is the uh, ever, you know, result right, to people. exposure to, or actually yeah. the lack of exposure to a sun because it started near the Correct. I mean, in, in fact, whites are the mutants. <laughs> We're the mutants, right? Right, right. With, with, Irish, with Irish being the most I'm, mutant of all, right? Exactly. I'm just saying there was a mutation there. I'm not saying mutants, but... So what your, your point, though, is, Charles, what? My point is, is that we'll never get beyond race issues until we educate a world to understand that skin color is not a characteristic that, that has any meaning whatsoever. And there is more differentiation in people's capabilities within a skin color group than there is between these groups. And that is part of understanding that you're part of an economic class to some degree. Your economic class has a huge amount to do with your education. Your education has a huge amount to do with what your capabilities are going forward. It has nothing to do with skin color. I mean, you know, Venter was just on a special on CNN two, two weeks ago. And, you know, he's, Craig Venter is the inventor of the Human Genome Project. And he's just said emphatically, <laughs> skin color has no association with intellectual capabilities. Mm. You know, and when the people Which see is, those two people on that commercial, the interracial couple on that commercial, is simply a man and a woman. At least they were a heterosexual couple. Right? <laughs> right, I mean, right, these right, are the same right, people right. who go crazy if they well, that, not. I don't know. That, maybe that would have caused less of a pushback. I don't know. I have no sure. idea. Probably not. Yeah. Pro honestly, probably not. But, I mean, of course, you're absolutely right. It's just it's just a matter of race is so, race is so embedded into American culture. Not just American culture. But here, maybe more so the most. Yeah, a little more, yeah. a little more. I, I, I mean, I, I've lived in a couple different countries, and it's a little more here. And why is than that? It is, because um, it's the basis of what I mean. It was. We have we have a very strong eugenics history. Yes. And a lot of white supremacy is not an unusual movement in the United States since the 1880s. It just goes up and down in terms of its visibility. But the, the present-day white supremacist is doing the same thing the Nazis were doing, which is trying to prove their purity of, mm. of uh, race. Mm. You know, and they're doing things that are just as crazy as the anthropometric measurements they were doing in the concentration camps. Mm. In fact, they were aping, the Nazis were aping American eugenics. Yeah. Thought. Well, and so, some of the criticism about this uh, action of ours was that it was, uh, it was, uh, it, it was basically you know, displaying a symbol of white supremacy, the news, and that we were you know, aiding and abetting those who embrace white supremacy, and, and that was that was surprising to me because I mean we have I mean, one one of the people involved who was on the gallows in both of the event, events we did, Frankie Mink, who is a former white supremacist, former white supremacist who is a, an amazing and vocal and national advocate for equality, has written four books on race relationships, race race relations. So and other people involved have been very um, very active uh, on a lot of causes. So it's just um, it, it's it's sad to me that that um, that that I can understand. I mean, I got some very constructive criticism. We, th you know, I think this was a bad idea. Okay, I can deal with that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and then there's some specifics that, that I can deal with. But the name calling, the the the, the labeling it uh, with lots of uh, terms that just don't don't fit uh, mm -hmm. any of us, uh, our character, our work. That, that's well, a, that's unfortunate. This is not unlike what happened with you know the episode in Virginia with the governor there, Northrum, Northrop. Yeah. yeah, you know, with the picture in the Eastern Virginia Medical School, uh, uh, you know, yearbook, um, with Joe Biden, you know, his discussion, his the discussion about the busing issues, when they went to the African American voters in in Virginia and then nationally, they're much more pragmatic. They could care. Most of them said, "We don't care that much about this." You know, this is Virginia. We understand this, and they were in much less of an upheaval about it than many of the progressive white yeah. That is because progressive white people, for them, this is all brand new. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good no, point. That's, that's a good point. That's absolutely, it shouldn't be, but yeah. It's, it's all brand new to them. So for them, it's like, oh my God, I have, um, I am about to go on a journey. I was talking with a group of my friends and we were getting everything together and their biggest thing is the danger that I am going to encounter 
on this journey because for them it's so scary because they for them it's like well we understand what's going on and you're black in America and, da, da, da. And, and for me it's yeah but I've been black in America for 43 years yeah. this is not brand new for me this is something I've been dealing with for and I've been uh, very acutely aware that I was black for at least 38 of those 43 years <laughs> right. so it's not it's not the same it doesn't have the same it doesn't hit us the same because it's the same thing over and over and over and over and over again um, what is your specialty Charles I'm a surgical oncologist and a palliative care physician. Okay, so the perfect example. So mm -hmm. you see cases, you see cases where if somebody, if we hear somebody has cancer, it hits us. It's like, oh my God, somebody has cancer. If so mm -hmm. you hear somebody, that's something that happens to you every day of your life for how many ever years that has been your... 30 plus. Yeah. yeah. So it's not a shock to right. you as it is to us. And that's kind of how racism affects progressive white people. Well, it's just interesting, too, because actually <laughs> in the palliative care aspect of things, um, as with many, you know, uh, areas of medicine, the practitioners are still predominantly white, although increasingly non-white and obviously right. women. But one of the issues is how to deal culturally with differing beliefs and also to understand that there's an underlying fear um, among African-American patients about how they're being treated by you know institutionalized medicine that's because study after study shows that, that there were actually disparities that's your disparities that is correct you know? <laughs> and and here again so it is it is you know my uh, coming from again a you know a, a, a white person and again I hate using this word because it has no meaning but mm. this is what we say right. but we come Absolutely. at it with a completely different view and we need to understand why African Americans would be suspicious of the you know the medical system, and as you say, <clears throat> blacks get Any less American pain system. medicine. Yeah, no, no. One last thing I want to sure. say about the about the, um, the again, the folks who are impugning the integrity and commitment and and of bold sensitivity. Iowa. Well, of, of the or, but or, or the people involved in the action. I mean, again, we've mm -hmm. had there two of the people involved are, are black, uh, and again, <laughs> they right. wouldn't be that they weren't supportive. But again, I I, I get it. So. But, but you know, just in terms of my own background, uh, you know, I was a state lawmaker for 14 years, and for 10 of those years, I represented the most highly uh, minority district in the state. Yep. I lived in a neighborhood where only 30% of the residents were white. My kids grew up, you know, in you know, not having any sense about those distinctions at all. Mm -hmm. And in fact, when I would uh, when I would you know when I would run for re-election, the best precincts, actually the the best precinct for me, the one I got the most votes by, usually like 92. 1992 even more maybe was the most heavily african-american precinct mm -hmm. you know I, I i think i have found that with my minority constituents then and my friends and others i work with now is there's less race consciousness than there is among white people and more acceptance of um of the you know it isn't like i need i i i need you you know you're not going to work for me in the right way unless you're my saint the same color as me it's more like, you know, we're living in the same neighborhood. We're dealing with the same challenges. That's all I need. I and mean, if you're going to fight for me, and I know you're fighting for the same stuff, you know, the same, fighting the, stu you know, the same stuff that you're fighting for your, mm -hmm. yourself, that's good. That's what I need to hear. Right. So whether it's uh, disparities in prisons, which I worked on a lot, or, or problems in human services and how poorer families and minority families were affected by, you know, by disparities within that system, that mattered much more to people in my neighborhood than skin color. Right, yeah, and it does. It, it will when you're trying to survive. You figure out how to survive, and you figure out doing it together is the easiest way to push forward and yeah. move forward. So, and whereas if you feel like you have everything, you don't feel that you don't feel that need. I don't feel that need to bond with my next door neighbor when I am when I live in my you know multiple million dollar home and it's that well, it's, it's absolutely right and I can yeah, yeah. deal with I have all of my I don't need I don't need their cup of sugar you know, I don't need them to help me jump my car I don't need to borrow their snow their their snow blower because I can't afford yeah. you know thirteen hundred dollars to buy my own so you don't you don't you don't have that constant mm -hmm. yeah two two-thirds of people who live in exurbs or suburbs don't know their neighbors right. yeah. at yeah. all at all, I remember when I, when, I, when I would go door to door in my my my, uh, my district. If I was in, I had one wealthy neighborhood later on, mm -hmm. 
and I would sometimes get a buzzer at the door. Who is it? What would you like? <laughs> you know, sorry, not interested. Uh, when I would go in like the poorest part of the, you know, the, the inner city precinct, I would just hear, "Come on in." They didn't know who I yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. And the next thing I know, we'd be eating, we'd be, we'd be eating some barbecue together. You know, I, uh, there was there was real uh, real affinity. Yes. Based on I think shared experiences, and that mattered more than race. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Not that I all the not not that I mean, and I get it. There are experiences that you're going to have as a black man that I'm never going to have as a white man. Right. And and I get that entirely. And I and so many of my black friends and neighbors have experienced those things that I will never experience just because of the the, the you know the 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 racial bias in our country. I get that too. Right. And and it goes the same way. I'll never be able to drive through West Des Moines without. But let's let's and let's not forget we're in a time in which. You know, uh, white victimization is paramount in terms of what we're being fed day in, day out from this administration. You know that it's funny that you say that because honestly, I have been thinking really hard on white victimization over the last week or so. Um, really, it's it, and I can, I can kind of understand it. I mean, How's up? listen, <laughs> because here's the thing: a lot of issues that we still struggle with in our country right now are created or were created by white people, white men, white landowning slash now rich men um, in our country. Uh, that being said, there, it, 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 and I don't know because I'm not white, but I would imagine that hearing every problem linked back to people who look like me or my my the people who came before me could get a little you could feel a little like you're getting beat down on like and I I just I, I not necessarily that that's it but I mean yeah it could feel like you're getting beat up on all the time and if you don't have if you don't have a kind of a circle where you are, you have, you're in touch with, with other people of color, and or you're in touch with people of color, or lower income people, and things like that, so that you can see where they're coming from, and that they're not beating up on you. They just want things to change for them. Then it could feel like you're constantly getting knocked around in today's America, when everybody's a little more aware than they used to be. So um, I can I can I can kind of see that and I can understand that and and if I was a white person especially if I was a white person right now and I had my little white kids running around I don't want them to constantly hear that everything is the fault of people who look like them all mm. the time mm. so but it, it, it that also takes a certain amount we would have to have discussions and it would have to be something but I mean just from the outside looking in I can kind of see how that could get a little tired. It's been a really good conversation, um, Pasha. I really appreciate you joining us, uh, folks. Pasha Morgan. Well, hey, we're going to have you back on uh, in a bit uh, later this month, maybe next month, to talk about a great idea you've got. Right. That's as far as we're going to go with it right, <laughs> right. now. Uh, and Charles is going to be come back and join us for a little more conversation about some of the breaking climate news. Then we're going to talk about some of the breaking Trump news. We hate to have to do that, but we got to do that. Back in a minute, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. For all your accounting needs, both business and personal, contact Ying Sa at Community CPA with offices in Des Moines and Iowa City. It seems that tax law changes every year. You want an accountant who's up to speed on the latest twists and turns, someone who can help make sure your tax return is filed accurately, in a timely manner, and properly, so you don't end up paying any more than you need to pay. So give Ying Sa, the founder of Community CPA, a call at 515-288-3188. That's 515-288-3188. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch, 
and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Times are tough, and most people are just trying to make their cars last a little bit longer. That's why you should know about Sargent's Garage in Des Moines. You can trust Sargent's to make the right diagnosis and give you a fair price every time. Whether it's a routine oil change or a major repair, Sargent's always does outstanding work. So don't give up on that old car just yet. Call Sargent's Garage at 515-246-8149. That's 515-246-8149. It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. Located at East 5th and Walnut Street, Hawk is open for lunch and supper Monday through Saturday. From May through October, you'll also find Hawk at the Downtown Farmer's Market, serving fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at hawktable.com. That's H-O-Q-Table.com. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Namaste India is one of the best Indian restaurants in the Des Moines metro. Located at 7500 University Avenue in Clive, Namaste offers a broad range of cuisine from both northern and southern India. Namaste's menu also includes delicious Indo-Chinese and Nepalese dishes. Owner Ronnie Singh has been in the restaurant business for over 12 years, providing a truly unique culinary feature for Central Iowa diners. Open Wednesday through Monday for lunch and supper. Namaste also delivers to your door. That's Namaste Restaurant 515-255-1698. That's 515-255-1698. Broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, in the studios of Lorena, 1260 AM and 96.5 FM. You know, following up the uh, last conversation on the sense of urgency about the escalating climate crisis, uh, we've seen, well, uh, New Orleans has been in the spotlight this past week, uh, New Orleans and now Mississippi. I mean, significant flooding. Uh, and, I mean, one of the features of, of the new climate era is. You know, storms that build faster, more dramatically, and they move slower. And moving mm-hmm. slower, they drag a lot more rain across a particular area. And, you know, New Orleans, it could have gone a lot worse than it did, but um, it's, it's a problem. It's a, I, I don't know how over the long haul you defend against that kind of, you know, weather event. Well, that's true. And, and, and the issue in the Arctic is that there's a sort of uh, synergism here because the, the fact that the Arctic is becoming increasingly ice-free makes it more available to exploration for oil and gas. <laughs> which, is, which is just infuriating. <laughs> right. At the same time, it is leading to uh, permafrost uh, defrosting, and permafrost holds a lot of methane, methane yeah, yeah. which is actually a, a much more potent uh, greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. And the news is. this past week was that, that, that permafrost is thawing 70 years earlier than scientists thought it would. That's correct. So that model is actually underestimating warming. Um, the only advantage of the Arctic uh, melting is it will allow for shorter trade routes, but there's no way that that's going to make up but for what the, the, what the what damage. Why, why, what, what do shorter trade routes or more opportunities to exploit oil matter in a world that is not sustainable, not livable. Right. I mean, but the point is, is that same, you know, same thing in, in, in Antarctica. These, these are multipliers. They're not simply cumulative anymore. 
right. they're actually multiplying the effect. The, the, the Thwaites, I think I'm saying it right, the Thwaites Glacier, sounds funny to say it, but I think it's, it's called the It's the one on the west, eastern side it, of it. It's a huge, right. it's a huge mass of, uh, of ice and, mm -hmm. and snow, and it's, uh, it's, it's melting, and the, the presumption is it's going to be gone at some point. And again, scientists are saying it might take a, like a hundred more years, but that's been my one complaint about climate scientists. They have been exactly right in terms of what's happening, but they've been really off base in terms of how quickly. And yeah. Again, we, we've seen that regarding the permafrost. And I, I suspect we're going to see that regarding some of the melting in the Antarctic. And again, for, as bad as all the stuff going on in the, in the Arctic, in Greenland, and Alaska, where they just recorded, what, 90 degrees in Anchorage? That's correct. None of that's as bad as what happens if, if the Antarctic melts in terms of sea level rise, in terms of other impacts. Well, again, maybe you could argue, I guess, that the methane being released from the permafrost thawing mm -hmm. is a problem because methane is so much worse than carbon even. Right. So. Um, you know, the, the, the irony is, because we, uh, I was going to say this at the beginning of the show, over 80% of Americans believe that we are causing a, the predominance in terms of uh, climate mm -hmm. change, yeah. that humans are the predominant cause of it at this point. It's, it's not so much that we haven't convinced the populace. It's that our system is set up to be in thrall to oil and gas interests and other primitive 19th century modes of energy. Right. Um, well, and and they, they remain in power. And the other problem is, I, even though 80% of the population might agree that climate change is happening and that it's anthropogenic, mm -hmm. I don't know what percentage of that 80%... Don't use that word because on Fox News they wouldn't understand what you're saying. <laughs> Sorry, well, yeah. yeah. Fox News has not yet begun to rebroadcast my program, but, <laughs> but there's hope, there's hope. Yeah. So, but the, the, the problem is, among that 80%, how many understand that we are actually uh, heading down a road toward extinction if we don't turn this around? I mean, that, that's... that's. I, I would say most people don't because when they ask the same people who say, yes, they believe in climate change, how much would they pay extra let's say, on their electric bill to help mitigate, you know, the carbon uh, consequences of, of power generation, most people are not willing to spend more than 5 or $10. Yeah. So that would tend to say, because this is the way the, the, the issue is being framed. The issue is being framed that if you were to address climate change, you would eviscerate the American economy. Right. And it's jobs versus the climate. And for all people say they believe in climate change, Asking them to retrain to a different job or move somewhere or have their ancient industry, you know, go under is just not acceptable to them. And I don't know that the Democrats have, have found a way to effectively speak to this. Now, interestingly, I was reading an article on Utah, which is clearly a very conservative state, and they are being very bold about setting climate, uh, you know, clean energy targets within the next two decades. And you know what convinced them? What convinced them, number one, is you can't breathe the air a good part of the year in Salt Lake City anymore mm -hmm. because of, of the coal plant at the south side of the city. And, and the way that it's it's, it's, it's in a, it's in a basin there. Yeah. Um, Park City doesn't have enough snow to be able to run a season that they used to. They're yeah. losing money. Yeah, when, when you're skiing and recreation is affected mm -hmm. by climate Absolutely. change, you know it's getting serious. The water supply for a good part of Salt Lake City comes up from that area near Park City, same problem, no snowpack, no water. Mm. So when it becomes more immediate that way, and, and, and Utah is, one, is the fifth warmest state that has had the fifth most heating over the last right. you know, uh, 30 years. So when it becomes real in your own life, people finally wake up. Yeah. When it's theoretical, well, I think it's hard. And again, hopefully people will wake up uh, more and quickly, <laughs> Yeah, because we have limited time. That's true, but I, I, I think <clears throat> a all or nothing approach um, by fiat from the government will not work. I mean, I, I know you're not a huge fan of Hickenlooper, but he does make a point, which is you're not going to do this by telling people what to do. You're going to have to engage people, which means it's going to be a more conservative approach at the outset. That's a great segue to our next segment. We're going to talk about politicians. Donald Trump, uh, the politicians that he's uh, telling to go back to where they came from, places like New York, Minnesota, Michigan, uh, we'll talk about that when we come back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. All right, welcome back to the uh, Fallon Forum. Quick shout out to some of our 
business partners here in the Des Moines Metro. Thanks again to Gateway Marketing Cafe, my grocery store, an excellent place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. Also, thanks to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. And thanks to Sergeant's Garage, where they've been working on my old beat-ups for, uh, what, close to 20 years now. That's Sergeant's Garage. Uh, thanks also to Community CPA and Associates, located in Des Moines and Iowa City. That's my tax and accounting firm. Always very reliable. Give Ying Sao, the owner and founder of Community CPA, CPA a shout. And finally, thanks to uh, Diversity Insurance, located at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. Uh, Diversity offers uh, a wide range of insurance um, plans. Give them a shout, no appointment needed. That's Diversity Insurance at 1541 East Grand in Des Moines. All right, so welcome back to the show. Dr. Charles Goldberg with me here. Uh, the week in Trump, you know, we, we don't have to always talk about Trump, but sometimes it's just impossible to ignore. Like when he tells four U.S. Congresswomen to go back where they came from and clean up the mess in their own countries before they lecture the U.S. on what it should do. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm surprised there's not more pushback from Republican officials about that. Because <laughs> it's so, okay, so that was really? funny. But it's so, it's so offensive. Uh, it just he calls him. He calls. He says, "Go back to the go. Go back and fix the crime-infested places they originally came from." Right. Before telling the U.S. government how to handle its problems. Right. They're part of the U.S. government. They're U.S. citizens. Three of them were born here. That's correct. It just it boggles the mind that he can say these things and still somehow get away with any credibility. Well, I mean, we know that the the Republicans are supine and syncophantic. Um, that oh, there you go with using, using and, words and really, that we can't use using yeah, Fox News. Right. Really, do I care if the Republicans criticize him? It's all crocodile tears. They they say what is to make themselves seem reasonable. I mean, some of them do. Not Mitch McConnell, but you know, <laughs> Romney, and you know, some of them will will say things that make them seem like they're actually going to stand up to the president. But none of them will stand up to the president. You know, and so of course then. Uh, you know, getting back to the issue, though, is he may have done the Democrats a favor, which is, you know, they've been, the Democrats have really been stalled for weeks on this whole issue of what to do with the insurgent movement, you know, uh, of, of the squad, the squad that he, you know, before <laughs> the four representatives he was talking about, the president was talking about, you know, and it's like they, Nancy Pelosi just needs to sit in the same room with them and say, what do you want to have happen? Do you want to have a house, you know, that's dominated by Democrats, and we have the same president for another four years. Okay, so what do you, you what, are you are neophytes? So what, this what do you, is what not you, the way politics works. Oh well, what are you suggesting? You suggesting that they should somehow back off and let Pelosi run the show? Yeah. Oh really? Right. See, I think that's the problem. If Pelosi gets to run the show, then you get another four years of Donald Trump. No, I, I, I disagree I, because oh, well, they are they are giving <laughs> they are they are giving voice. I, I it's not that I disagree with much of what they say, but they are not doing this in a way which is is political. We understand where they stand, but it just goes back to what I was saying before. I don't disagree with the Green New Deal, but there's no depression and there's not people standing on the street selling apples. And I understand you and I see the urgency, but the majority of people are do not, and more, they will not have their lives changed so precipitously more, to get this done. More and more see the urgency of, of climate change, but beyond that, I mean, what I, I what, think, I think you're surrounding yourself with people who are your echo chamber. Well, you know, I, I, th I think the, as you have as you have more and more weather events, uh, fire events, uh, climate, you know, people in Iowa don't live in California. Yeah. They well, don't see it. Well, there are folks, I mean, I know that some of the folks who live on the Missouri River or Mississippi River yeah. miss the climate connection to that flooding, but not all of them. And a no. lot of, more and more of them see that, oh, this is not They this They is got not the right. climate connection, but what, they're, what, what they said was the Army Corps of Engineers didn't do the right thing to protect their land because they were protecting habitats. A lot of them said that, not all of them, but it was reinforced, right. of course, by Senators Ernst and, Ernst and Grand, Grassley. Right. But, but back to the squad. I'm not even sure where they got the name of the squad from. I'm not sure either, but that's that's pretty much the yeah, way they okay. refer to it. <laughs> right. Oh, and by the way, I do want to say that you know, uh, Representative Omar yeah. comes from, uh, she represents... Somalia? Right, but in terms of Minnesota, she represents the district that includes St. Louis Park, which is 
predominantly a Jewish area, it's the most Jewish suburb of Minneapolis. So, you know, in terms of, remember the whole thing about her being anti-Semitic? Sure, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Okay, the people who live there don't see that. Right. They voted for her in, you know. And, um, of course, St. Louis Park was also the place this week where they, as with many of the Minnesota cities, do not read the Pledge of Allegiance to start official council meetings. And the president felt that it was something he needed to comment on because these people are disloyal. Are we back in the 1950s? Should we bring Senator McCarthy back? I mean, really. I think he's back. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, this, is, this is pathetic. But, 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 but back to uh, your point. I, I, mean, I, I, I think the, uh, these are four members of Congress that I think are doing the, the, the best work we can, we, we, we can ask for right now. They're, they're leading the charge on so many fronts that Democrats have fallen down on for decades. And, and Democrats have been losing. I mean, yeah, every once in a while there's a victory. And I, I, again, I think Obama won. Obama won because he was new, different, edgy, mm -hmm. um, seemed to be progressive, you know? Right. And, and, uh, and people, people want change. They are tired of the status quo. The status quo candidate will always lose. Again, John Kerry, um, Al Gore, uh, Mitt Romney, uh, John McCain. Uh, Hillary Clinton, the, stand, the, 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 the status quo candidate loses in the 21st century. And again, I know that, that uh, AOC and Omar and, the, and other progressive newcomers to Congress, I know there are plenty of districts they couldn't win in, uh, but I think there's a lot more than those four that they could win in on the platform they're pushing. And I think Pelosi ought to be, I think they ought to be calling Pelosi into a meeting saying, hey, look, here's what we want and here's what you need to be doing differently. I, you know, I, I think there's this, this patronizing from, you know, the establishment candidates, the establishment, you know, politicians to the newcomers who are the energy, spirit, and spunk of the party. That's got to, that's, that's backwards in my mind. If, if that's what the Democrats end up doing, they're going to lose. But no, they've been losing doing the opposite. They've been doing, no, they've they, been losing. They, they've been losing. The biggest problem for me with the Democrats is not, the, not these four women representatives. Biggest problem with the Democrats is if I see one more Democrat visiting the detention centers on the border, they've won that argument already. People in the United States understand what's going on on the border. You've won the argument. Tell me something that you're going to do about it. It's you know they they are no different than many Democratic politicians. It's all about the photo op. You've wait, already wait, won wait, this wait, argument. Who's who's no different than any other Democrat? The you know. Julian Castro's going down there. AOC goes down there. They all go down there. Well, I mean, that, that's important to do so you can come back and share your perspective. You, with you your, don't. You, there's your, TV and the Internet now. There's TV and the Internet yeah, now. You, we know what's going on. What are the Democrats going to do about immigration? Yeah. It is going to be the central issue yeah, well, in I, this election. They, what are they going to do about they, immigration? They've, they've got some good ideas, some of them. Where? The, Who knows them? Well, the problem is you've got a Congress that's not going to go anywhere with you. Well, you understand, and that. a president who's going to, you know, but that doesn't mean you doesn't mean you don't put your your solution out there. I'm, what I'm saying is, I I'm, I'm tired of of the personality issue. I'm 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 tired of them every time you know somebody of color, you know, is crossed by somebody lately. It's like. Pelosi's a racist. Pelosi's not a racist. No, I, I, I totally, I, yeah. I would totally agree I mean, with you. And that was, you know, it's un, that's not helping. This is no. politics. Politics is, is trying to make something possible. Yeah, I get that. And we're all making things impossible. I'm just asking. But, but okay. <laughs> you know, I'm just asking, give me the Democratic plan on immigration. Give me the but Democratic no, plan on climate change, and it can't be the Green New but, Deal. No, part of what you said was what Diane Feinstein said to all those kids. But I've been doing this a while. I know what I'm doing. Uh, just back off, and that's I, that, that's what I hear you saying that these the, the, how how the newcomers should respond to Pelosi. Okay, we're going to let you run the show because you've been running it so well. I mean, she hasn't been. How so? What did uh, what's supposed to happen? I mean, they sent bill after bill to go nowhere in the Senate. That's not well, here's, Pelosi's here's fault. One, here's one example: when you've got uh, climate change happening the way it is, and uh, the vast majority of, of Americans understanding it, and the the huge. I mean, when it's a top issue among Democrats. And you've got a DNC, and you know headed by Pelosi and Schumer and others, mm -hmm. who say no climate debate. No, that's a problem. I, I, that's agree, a real problem. I, I agree. With, I agree with <laughs> so, you on all these points. And why? And I am tired of the same old thing. But my big question to you is, 
why is Tom Steyer running? Why does he spend the money oh, well, on, yeah, on well, election that, getting people to the polls? Oh, I'm so glad we finally got to it. something we can agree on. Why is Tom Steyer running? Right. It has something to do with, it's a three-letter word, because of the E, ends with O. Well, he wants ego. to talk about impeachment. He want, he, well, yeah, that and he just has his own ego to satisfy. It makes, it makes no sense that Steyer is running for president, especially after announcing in January that he wasn't. Right. Anyway. It makes, it makes no sense that anyone else would want to run for president on the Democratic side right now. In fact, it'd be great if a few dropped out. Yeah. Hey, uh, Charles, thanks for joining us today. Folks, if you're listening on our community-owned stations, we'll be back with a little more conversation in just a few minutes again. Thanks to our staff, uh, to uh, Ashley Martinez, to uh, Sherry Herdina, to Juan Rodriguez, uh, to all the other folks here at the studio, at the station who make this program possible. And again, uh, you can always hear it live Mondays at 11 o'clock on KDLF 96.5 FM. This is Ed Fallon, your host on the Fallon Forum. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, continuing our broadcast on uh, July. 20, no, July 15th. It's hard to keep the day straight anymore. Charles Goldman in the studio with me. So there is this impression that, um, that paranoia and, uh, I mean, what, what else do we call it? Well, um, American politics and American conspiracy in general theories, have yeah. always been prone to uh, the idea of conspiracy more so than probably anywhere else in the well, world. Well, like the British are coming, the British are coming. Well, no, that not that thing? kind of conspiracy. Well, but, you know, the deep state kind of uh, conspiracy that there's a secret power that's behind all this, like the Masons. The Masons. The Freemasons, right. you yeah. know. It's like watching a perpetual episode of, like, Ancient Aliens or something. Yeah. You know, and. Or, or constant <laughs> reruns of. Uh, of um, Barry, what's it called? What was the treasure movie? Uh, oh, gosh. The Cage was in. Um, I'm blanking. Oh, uh, American, it was an American treasure? Anyway, yeah, yeah. so. National treasure. National treasure, that's right. So, uh, you know, and we're being treated to this, of course, because of social media and the other, you know, internet uh, outlets. And in fact, it's been shown that um, false information spreads about 10 times faster and about 10 times more widely on the uh, internet than does truth. Um, how, how do you do that research? But that's another I, conversation. That's a whole other conversation. Fascinating, though. Right. Okay. And, and, you know, of course, a lot of this has to do with retweeting by the, uh, you know, commander-in-chief of things that he's collecting during executive time. Um, and, and then the possibility of, <laughs> you know, fake videos and all that. But I, I, there's just a couple of things I thought that were kind of interesting that uh, I, I wanted to bring up. Like... I found uh, something on a place called Information Clearinghouse, which I read, which is somewhat of, uh, it's like these, a lot of ex-CIA officers and uh, other people who've been in the government in other um, positions, uh, I would say definitely of the conspiratorial paranoid type. Okay. So this one is, is pedophile Jeffrey Epstein working for Mossad? Okay, so the- Wow, there's a, there's a lot in that <laughs> sort of sentence. <laughs> well, this is, this is, um, this is the theory. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, Number one, no one exactly knows how, why he's rich, okay? Because <laughs> as far as we can tell, he only has one or two clients for his supposed, you know, uh, money, his hedge fund. Um, they're, they're positing that um, Acosta was told to go easy on Epstein because Epstein, you know, ha- has taken a lot of rich and powerful people uh, with him on uh, his on the Lolita Express. That's what they used to call his his <laughs> okay. plane, and that he's got uh, compromising information on Clinton and others, um, and that uh, for that reason, that's why they went lenient leniently okay. on him the first time. All right, whatever. And <laughs> that he is a Mossad agent because the, the Mossad would be the hey, kind of explain the, the Mossad, Mossad is the Israeli is, uh, intelligence. Okay, they're like the equivalent to the Israeli CIA. Okay. And that, or the KBG. Well, but the KGB and the CIA would probably not be so heavy-handed. Um, and <laughs> that so, says a lot. Right. <laughs> and, and this kind of thing when the Mossad goes back to, if you remember, um, the remember the president talked about that there were, uh, there were Muslims on the New Jersey shore who were cheering Yes. The, the, yeah. Yeah. The yeah. Right. World right. Trade Center World going Trade down. Center, yeah, yeah. And actually, the people who were arrested for for, uh, for doing that, they weren't arrested for that, but they were arrested, were in fact 
five Israelis who were working for some moving company. What? And, and oh, no. shortly after, and this was also documented in the Israelis' this. papers. Yeah. Shortly afterwards, these five guys like disappeared back to Israel. They were probably taking on the same plane. They took uh, uh, <laughs> what's his name's family, uh, Osama bin Laden's yeah, family, yeah, yeah. back to Saudi. Um, so, and, you know, this is the kind of thing that the president like reads. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. so anyway, so that's that's one thing that's going on. Then we have, um, you know, the idea that. Um, that the Republicans are ready to unleash upon us the real story of how the investigation of Russiagate got started. Ah. You know, this whole thing that Barr right. empowered this Connecticut Attorney General sure. to do, um, and we're still waiting for the Inspector General's report at the Department of Justice, and that uh, we're going to have something like right out of Stalin, you know, show trials of people like Comey and okay. Peter or whatever Strzok and his girlfriend Lisa Page and and this is all great <laughs> entertainment, but but how? But do this you is no, this is on Fox. This yeah, is, this is Fox know. News. Yeah, I know. But in other words, it's great entertainment. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how do you explain that our country is so inclined to? be obsessed with. I mean, it's, and it's not universal, of course, but there's there's a lot of folks, enough folks that it's troubling, who are really into this stuff, really believe that the moon landing never happened, uh, that, <laughs> yeah. that the 9-11 was an inside job. They, they really buy that stuff. How, how do you explain, and again, it does, you're like, you're right, it goes back a long ways. How do, you, how do you explain that? You know, that's a good question. I mean, I, I probably knew the answer to that at one point because, um, you know, a number of, uh, Robert Haberstam wrote a, a um, very well-known book on the paranoid style of American politics. But I, I can't at this point, yeah, I can't at, at this point say that um, I, I recollect exactly the historical basis for this. But the internet had, and social media have just made it worse. Sure, of course. And it is. It's hard to sift through what's true and what's not yeah. true. I mean, and, uh, to their credit, Facebook is trying. They're trying to help out, sort of. Right. But of course, <laughs> according to the president, they're preferentially uh, you know, taking out the conservative memes, like on Hillary, of course, because we're still hearing about Hillary Clinton, and uh, Benghazi, and her sure. emails, and the fact that the Clinton Foundation, in spite of all factual yeah. uh, inf information, was they were doing the same thing the Trump Foundation was doing, which was spending it on themselves. Right, you know, right, right. Uh, except, of course, the Trump Foundation is the one that New York State closed down <laughs> for its violations of various uh, philanthropic Right, lock uh, them up. Statutes, <laughs> right? And exactly, lock. You know, but we 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 heard the Trump Foundation, the Clinton Foundation, was nothing but a money, you know, a cash cow for them. But so I, you know, I, again, I'm 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 fascinated by the evolution of the propensity to embrace conspiracy theories, and maybe maybe it doesn't go back to the early days of the uh, of the country. You know, I mean, maybe trying to trace it to revolutionary you know, uh, incidences. Maybe that's, maybe that's foolish. Maybe, it, maybe it's something that just really just started taking off in the middle of the last century. And again, as you suggested, uh, exacerbated the, you know, the, the advent of social media exacerbated the, 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 the problem, the inclination. But well, I think, I think the disconnection of the political class from um, the rest of the population and the political class increasingly being about it's just self-propagation. That's has uh, yeah. has made it people believe that there is some hidden hand here. Yeah. Isn't that what happened with the Roman Senate? Increasingly isolated from mm -hmm. the general populace and reality and yeah. Well and, and you know, there are many people who feel like we are following a fairly typical progression for yeah. empire. There's a great there's a great reference, by the way, in the book, How the Irish Saved Civilization, which is a fantastic book and a great title for a book. Really? How the Irish Saved Civilization. Yeah, yeah. I won't. I won't tell you how we did it. Uh, that's that, that's that's up to you to read the book. Okay. But the um, there's a there's a great scene. Is about, it in Gaelic? No, it yeah. could be in Gaelic, but it's in English, so that you can read it. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> just like just like the Bible was written in English. Yes, <laughs> King James English. That's the original language of the Bible. King James English. Right. Yeah, because Jesus was very proficient at King James English. Mm -hmm. But no, the um, the uh, the uh, uh, there's a, there's a scene, there's a description in the beginning, in the, toward the first first part of that book where. Um, I can't remember the name of the Visigoth that shows up at the gates of Rome, and 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 they they, you know the the Roman centuries are they're kind of they're, they're kind of tired. It, this has been a long day. They're they just kind of say, what do you want now? Mm -hmm. uh, we're just nothing. We just want to come in and take all your gold and, and raid your city and leave it in shambles. And they were like, oh whatever, go away. Yeah. And next thing they know, 
their city was in shambles and all their mm-hmm. all their riches were gone. <laughs> you know, they they were so clueless about what was happening. There was this total disconnect between the political and military establishment and reality. Mm-hmm. And I think we have that today. I, I'm not saying that the Visigoths are at the gates, although they might be in various shapes and forms. Mm-hmm. But you know, we um, <laughs> we 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 really have a political class that is out of touch, and maybe that has something to do with. Uh, so because it is so out of touch, people are inclined to believe things that are bizarre uh, in, in, to counterbalance the lack of reality relevant to our political system. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that that's a good point because we're living in a time – and by the way, before I go further, it's actually Richard Hofstadter's book is about the paranoid style okay. in American politics. Um, I, I think what's, what's happening is that you've got a couple things coming together. You have a move against silence, against science, right? Because science is difficult to comprehend in many ways, and it's also hard to comprehend these great forces. Yeah. You know, and the other is the, the rise of certain types of religion tend to move into mystical thinking, mm. and that's what really paranoia comes from. Thanks again for tuning into the Fallon Forum, and thanks again to uh, the folks here at Lorena, uh, twelve sixty AM, ninety six point five FM in Des Moines, Iowa.